This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. and welcome to this edition of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Thank you so much for being here today. We have a great, great show for you. I have a very special guest who is, I'm happy to say, one of my very close peers and friends. Um, So I'm going to let you know, you know, I was thinking this morning before I was doing this podcast is that this woman needs no introduction. I haven't really been able to say that yet with certain guests, but I feel like Deanna really does. A lot of people know. I know. I know, and it would be a little easier. A lot of people know about Deanna. I was like, you know, I could probably do her bio without reading it, but she has so much behind her with her credit. And I think, again, that's the beauty that uh, she brings to this work. So let me just read for a second what she has been doing. So Deanna Cochran is a hospice RN since 2000. She is founder and CEO of Quality Soul Care since 2005 and has been a palliative care educator and end-of-life doula in a private practice and creator of um, and, the, and the, of the training program of her signature program accompanying the dying, a practical guide of awareness and training. The first certificate program of its kind in 2010. She is one of the earliest voices in the end-of-life doula movement and is presently honored to serve as chair of the newly formed End-of-Life Doula Council within the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization and is a founding member and was vice president of the National End-of-Life Doula Alliance. She believes in unity in this grassroots death-positive movement and contributes all she can to special projects with her, with others. Her latest is the National Certificate for End-of-Life Doula Hospice Program, known as NSEP, where she has partnered with Suzanne B. O'Brien. Together, they are presenting <laughs> organizations with an End-of-Life Doula Program development template complete with all full trainings to create their own unique hospice end-of-life doula program. She is author of the book, Accompanying the Dying, Practical Heart-Centered Wisdom for End-of-Life Doulas and Healthcare Advocates. Take a moment to take it all in. That is, <laughs> that is, that is so beautiful and outstanding. So today, really, everyone, we're here to talk about, obviously, the movement, but we're also going to share this incredible book that Deanna put together. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Deanna, your background, what brought you here. Um, I really feel like our paths are somewhat like similar. And the, the fact that, um, yes. you know, you've been doing this, pounding the pavements. I kind of this morning, again, you know, when I'm thinking about doing the interview, I, I call us the OGs of the EOLDs. Like we are some of the people that... <laughs> You know, well, I mean, think about it. You know, it's just really gained such momentum and awareness, and people think it's this new type of thing. But you and I have been pounding this pavement for a long time, and we've worked with so many people. Yeah. And it's like it, 
so much a passion of ours to make that change and that shift for people at the end of life and their families. And your book today is a huge part of uh, what's going to help family. So I'm super excited. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your path to this type of work um, and really what brought you about to want to do a book? Because it's not easy. Thank you, Suzanne. I, I'm so grateful to be with you. I was thinking about that today, today too. Um, I was in the shower and I was going, I remember when we first met and before we first met, I think we even tried to do something together, but it was too early. Um, you and I were both still formula. It was just back in like soon after I got out. I mean, I, the summer, do you remember, like, I remember being in a hotel doing some, a retreat for some corporate thing. And I, we were talking, we had talked about, we were wanting to do something, but I feel like at that time we were meant to do something together, which we are. At that time, we were too busy getting established in our own um, shoes. And that's one thing I feel like all doulas need to hear. It's great to be out here and doing things with, with other people. And to do it, you might always want to do it with others, always in unis, unity and always um, with another program or within your company or within your hospital. And then there are people who are out and wanting to do things more of a, in a bridge kind of way where they're being an adjunct to what presently is. And so that way you can help uh, all, the, all the gaps that we all know are there. You can yeah. be more helpful helping people through and cross those gaps. So when I first started, um, that's how I'm seeing things today, um, is that, and, and, when, and if you're doing it in that capacity, you need to get strong in yourself first. You need to get strong in what you want to do and what you believe needs being done. And you need to get real clear about that because our, each one of us has a beautiful vision and a beautiful mission. And I can get so excited about your vision and mission that I leave mine over here and go to yours. And that's okay, but when you're trying to, to really... Uh, anchor into your own community with what you were set to do. You need to be strong in yourself first. You and I are strong in our in our in our companies, in our vision, in our voice. We know what we want to bring to the table, and so together we clearly can do more together. We actually are stronger together, and that's what I feel we've been trying to tell people um, all year long with with our other uh, venture um, with P Professional Dual International. So I'm very grateful to be working with with you, Suzanne. So how I got started was nothing about this. I was a hospice nurse. Uh, my mother uh, got a di terminal diagnosis and I needed to go help take care of her. She died quickly within five weeks. And what I knew at the time was I was just devastated, of course, seeing the decline in her so rapidly. I was her caregiver for her last, we didn't know it was going to be her last two weeks, but 24-7, you know, we come to find um, a lot of things in similar um, we all have similar in common, but with her, she didn't want me out of her sight. She did not want me out of her sight. So I knew how to be that person because of my training, but I, inside I was dying. Like I just couldn't believe this magnificent woman was dying. Like I was watching her life force drain out of her body every day. And so I had a, my friend, Mary Burgess, who was the one who taught me hospice to begin with in 2000. She, I called her every day because she was my friend. And I'd say, Mary, she goes, and Mary would go, oh, I'm so sorry. 
uh, blah, blah, blah. She would give her best hospice nurse advice. And at the time, I didn't know there was a pre-hospice palliative care movement brewing within the NHPCO. At the time, it was called It's About How You Live. I didn't know that. I didn't know um, that, that, there, that palliative care was possible prior to hospice. I kept asking for it because when I began training in oncology, I also concurrently was training in hospice and I wondered why we weren't using that medicine on the oncology floor and the protocols that we used in hospice. It didn't make sense to me. It broke my heart. The same people that were suffering on the floor, um, coming into hospice just a couple months later as an on their case manager and I knew them on the floor the the way we cared for them was starkly different and it wasn't because we were just giving them morphine and watching them die I mean right. hospice is not that and that's no. a lot of people's idea of hospice it's not that at all so when I saw how they would come back to life they would get hope their their symptoms were managed all these things were being uh, for quality of life care for quality of care was enhanced tremendously people were eating and sleeping yeah, and yeah, visiting yeah. with their families when they were suffering so yeah. I just didn't I did I, I would cry I cried a lot because I'm like oh my gosh I'm seeing firsthand the difference in care when you have palliative care involved so when my mom got this terrible gastro uh, this GI cancer I just like I knew what was ahead for her I knew and I knew how I needed to manage other families that had this in their in their life and I couldn't do it I was too emotionally involved so Mary helped us so she was actually my doula our doula for my mom well when she died I realized everybody, I was so distraught about starkly realizing that if my mom didn't have me as a daughter, she would have not had that death. She would have exactly. not died that way. She exactly. would have been in the hospital. She would have, mm -hmm. it was palliative care mm -hmm. that saved her from a miserable death. So that's what I set out to do back in 2005 was be the hospice nurse daughter for people to know about palliative care prior to hospice has been my um, banner or my love ever since. And I got sidetracked with end of life doula actually, because I, I say sidetracked because I went out to teach about palliative care prior to hospice and bring that awareness home and ended up uh, addressing another need, which we have, which is bedside uh, vigiling days prior to death when families really need help and in hospice, I saw that time being taken away from me. You know, I used to be able to, in 2000, spend all kinds of time. And as the years, you know, here we are in 2019 and the stories I hear today about the time element that people wish that we still used to have, but with all the cuts and all these things. So doulas are there for that. Doulas are there to bring that part back. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. Anyway, I came in because of my mom and palliative care. I teach a lot of palliative care in my course, but because um, I want them to know how to deal with people and help them die well when they haven't made it to hospice yet, when they might not yeah. ever come to hospice because so many right. people don't ever want to come to hospice. They and, want to live. And even when they know? do, they right. need an adjunct support. And even when they do, they need adjunct support. And we need to do it much earlier, which palliative yeah. care does address. So. I think for me, if I'm yes. hearing you correctly, it's a combination of working in the field and seeing the, the gaps and people suffering and then also bringing it home to your own experience with your mother and then saying, what can we do differently to make a difference for others? And then you've been on that yeah. platform ever since. 
and you have not stopped. I don't know when you sleep. I'm just going to say. Well, you know, we're going to go to doula rehab. You and I have discussed this. (laughs) We're going to go to doula uh, camp. Um, But... I, I love this work so much. I love it. It, and it, it is hard. Such a to, I belong such to a, a self-care group. Yeah, it yeah. does. We need to take care of ourselves. I think, you know, when you're doing the kind of work you and I are doing, um, really, you know, we are thought leaders. We're on the edge. So often I don't know if what I'm about to say is going to sound crazy to people. Are they going to hate me for saying it? Am I going to make enemies? Like all of that when I first came out, was on my mind because I didn't want to anger anybody. I didn't want healthcare, uh, the people that were trying so hard to take care of our people to be upset with me for saying what I saw. And I am one of those instigators. And it's not that I mean any harm. It's that, oh, I see a problem. I would love to see if we can find a solution, but that means you need to acknowledge the problem. And it's not out of lack of trying or lack of care that these problems exist. It's bureaucracy and it's money and all that. So we find different ways to move. We're like water. We find different ways to move through the cracks and and help people get what they need. You know, we can build these rafts and help, or we can keep trying to go against the grain. And and there's no reason to keep trying to be. Yeah. Um, so I think that's beautiful and something to really identify. There are complete, absolute, amazing individuals out there in the medical system, hospice nurses, hospice workers, doctors, everyone who does it is doing such great work. They, they are amazing. It is, it's, oh, yeah. the system, it's yes. the system that's broken. It's the way that it's set up. In fact, I know because I feel like we have a platform that we can speak from that because we were the hospice nurse. We were the ones trying to make the difference. And I, I can probably say you were the same way. I was killing myself trying to get to all my patients and be with them all. I was working eight hours more every single week, if not more, for not getting paid to try and be places because it made such a difference to be there. So it's not anyone's fault. It's the way that the system is set up. So how can we come in and have an adjunct answer to complement the amazing work that they do? And I think that's what we're doing here. You You can't make a positive change unless you identify and acknowledge that there's a broken system or something wrong here. So I think that everyone's on board with that, which is great. And you know what? Ideally, they start thanking us to to help them to do the job that they really want to be able to do um, because it's just so demanding. So they are incredible people. So let's talk a little bit. Well, it's a streamlined process. Like we can all, we all have our lane. So the brilliance that you see in every department, let's say, let's say the doulas, we're going to put us in a department. You see the brilliance in every department. Yeah. It's crazy. It, like, and this is how I feel about palliative care. Why would we expect like, a cardiologist who's accomplished, brilliant, knows all top of line research and all of what he's doing. And it's so much going on there to be also expert in palliative care. Do you, it takes palliative care experts and palliative care board certified physicians all their time to be top of the line in their field. Why do we expect people in ER to be the same brilliant as ICU? It's not possible or in surgery. So in end of life, that's why people turn to hospice. Hospice has its brilliance, but it isn't in how much time they get to spend. They are brilliant plan care leaders. They offer everything that a family needs. They can make sure that family is well taken care of and that person dies well. All of that is true. And when a family needs more time, 
that's the part they can't promise. So we try with volunteer programs and volunteer programs do excellent jobs at that. And sometimes they have enough volunteers and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they are, their programs are saying you can do this, but not that. So here again, doulas can fill in like water. They can just fill in those places where hospice needs us or families need us. It's not like we're coming with our agenda. We're saying, how do you need us? We're happy to we're fill here in. to support Use hospice, support the patient, support the family. We only have one chance to do this end of life correctly and do it well. And we yes. can't do it again. Yes. So, so we'll work together to do that. So thank you for clarifying that. So let's talk about this amazing book that you put together. And I know how much goes into doing something like that. So <laughs> I hope it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've read, I've read some of it and I think it really is. And I want to share that for me, part of the identifying the problem is that we do not acknowledge or talk about death or end of life in our society at all anymore. And so where there was an awareness skills um, handed down generation to generation that has been completely lost. So when death does show up and we know a hundred percent of the time it will show up, it is just a shock for everyone. So now you have hospice come in, but they might not have the time to be there as much as the family wants. The family doesn't know the first thing about end of life caring for somebody, but you always have that one person who's more comfortable with being that caregiver or being that person who advocates or being, you know, maybe go to person that go to person. So yeah, I am going yeah. to, before we dive into this, cause I'm really going to kind of pick your brain if you don't mind and give, give, okay. the, yes. give the listeners like a lot of tools that they walk away with today. Before we start that, I want to just talk a sure. little bit about this incredible book that you have put together. It's called accompanying the dying practical heart-centered wisdom for end-of-life doulas and healthcare advocates. And here is a little blurb about this. This book is ideally okay. the go-to person who is always the one helping everyone in illness, through dying, through crisis of life. These people are the salt of the earth. They are the ones who are mm. coming forward as the new emerging role of end-of-life doula wanting to empower mm -hmm. others through serious illness. This book is meant to educate and inspire us to accompany each other through dying well in this modern age. It will save you countless hours of research and enhance your confidence and guide you through every stage of empowering your friends, family, and community. Whew. I want a copy. I'm buying. Oh, I like that. I'm buying. It's I beautiful. That. <laughs> it's, yes, yes, yes. You, you should like oh, it. That gave that me is, chills. No, it, it should. Seriously. It's really beautiful and it's so very needed. Thank so so let's, talk, let's talk about this book. Um, share what the motivation was and then we're going to kind of get into what the content is. Why'd you want to write it? Oh, well, thank you. When did you have yeah, time to write? When do you sleep? I don't know. That's why it took so long. <laughs> I started writing this in 2007. Um, I remember talking to a publisher back then and he said, I, my first five blog posts ever in life, um, I think we're in 2006. He said, I have your book right here, your first five blog posts. There's your, you don't have to write anymore. But I was so, uh, it wasn't this book. It wasn't yes. this book. That book was about palliative care. I wanted to write a book that people could understand from someone like me 
who would really kind of not dumb it down. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean, palliative care is a very complicated topic yeah. and there's a lot of power and meaning and can be taken in, di in directions we don't want it to go. And I was so involved in that. I kept trying to write that book. I kept trying to write that book. And year would go by and I'd, I'm here. I've got, you know, I don't, I've got several chapters of that. But I was on the beach one day with my present publisher, Sharon, and I didn't know she was a book publisher. <laughs> and we're on the beach in Maui at that conference and we were laying on talking to my new friend I met at Bodie B's death store. And I said, you know, I just can't write this book. And I was just being like a little drama. I just trying to write this book and I just can't write it. I don't know why. And I'd love it. And I love the topic and I'm crying. So maybe that's not the book you're supposed to write first. Maybe that's your second book. I'm like, what? You know, like, you know, when people open your mind right, right. Yeah, and yeah. I said, so well, what does that mean? Like, what is, I can't even imagine. She goes, well, what would you write? If, what would you love to talk about if you weren't trying to write that book? And I said, well, of course it's end of life dualism. And I just went on and on. She was write that book, write that one. So I, this one just came out. This one, it, it, it flowed. It took me two years longer. Um, to do than I thought it was going to do. I thought it was only going to take me like a year and a half because we are busy. I don't know how anybody writes. I guess they don't work. <laughs> are they work little or they just work themselves into the ground? But it is, it was a beautiful, um, my feeling was there are people that will never come do my training because they're not called on that level. How can I get them the same information as much as I can, as best as I can, without yeah. me being there explaining, mentoring the way we do in our courses? How can I get them the same kind of information to where they can then go jump off from this platform and go do further digging? Um, I wanted them to have a well-rounded um, idea of why this doula movement is here right now. How could they help their neighbor? Because as you said, when used to, when we died before, it's not that uh, everybody liked dying. They didn't, but they had no choice. They just were helping each other. And in this last 80 years or so, we're all going to the hospital and, and funeral parlors. And so we don't know how to help each other anymore. It's just always rah, rah, rah. Uh, we're going to try to beat this death thing. Well, now we're into, we acknowledge with the pendulums coming back and we're going, oh my goodness, we're not always going to beat this death thing. We already know that, but truly in our hearts, we're getting it. Mm -hmm. And so people want to empower each other. They want to make their decisions. They are talking about it more in a lot of places because of the death, the talk about death platforms that are all over the place now, but they don't know how. They don't know how because all they know they how to do is it. say those, uh, you know, they haven't learned it. Nobody's walking with them. They weren't, they haven't been a hospice nurse. They haven't it's been a, a hospice chaplain a or a hospice social worker. Yeah. Yeah. It is a lost skill. Mm -hmm. So in, unless our grand, like my grandmother taught me, my mm -hmm. father's mother taught me, took me to my first vigil when I was 13. How many people get that? Mm -hmm. Where we went and walked down these an actual cobbly roads. They weren't paved roads yet in Laredo, Texas. And she walks me to Sarapita where I used to buy my candy when I was coming down from D.C., Washington, D.C. in the summers and would spend the summers on the farm and the goats and all that. And we would go eat candy with Sarapita. She was like three feet tall. She couldn't speak English. And I did this thing with her and I got to go to her vigil. I never knew she was dying until my grandmother took me. And once they took me there, we walked back into that room. I could feel the power. I didn't know what I, I yeah, kind of sensed yeah. she was dying by the time we got there, but my grandmother didn't tell me. She just said, put your shoes on and follow me in Spanish. She did not tell me where we were going. 
My yeah. grandmother was dressed and she had her veil and all that, but I could feel the power as we went into the room. And that was my first experience with the reverence and the prayerful uh, sitting and the vigiling. And I felt important. Yeah. And there was some very sad things going on in my life then. And, um, oh my goodness. <laughs> but being there made me feel um, important that they thought enough of me to have me sit at her bedside as she's departing. I was one of the esteemed women. I was, they were bringing me into the fold wow. of wisdom, of caring, of this woman that I bought candy from my whole life. Oh my goodness. They what elevated me. Privilege, yeah. they, oh, they, uh, they honored me. Yes, they did. So was I there for Serapita? Yes. But in the process, I was elevated. Oh, yeah. I was, I oh, felt yeah. I was God's messenger. I was God's carer. I was here on with them in unity, caring for this beautiful soul. You just can't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. Now, I would like to, no. And, and I would like to say from then on, I knew I was supposed to be a tool or a bridge. No, I, I was went off to play. Well, maybe, and, maybe you know not, what I mean? Hey, maybe later. not consciously, but those, those seeds were planted. But let's stay with that beautiful moment for a minute. Because your book, just like what we wrote about, is to those people who are the ones who step forward to care for others, even not knowing what they're doing, not having any skills. They know that they're yes. needed. They know. Right. And so it's such a privilege yeah. to be in that space. But what you're doing here is giving them the skills right in that book to be able to make that easier, to be that caregiver, to help somebody in their community. Because it's a lost skill. We don't have it. Um, but what, what an honor. How beautiful. And all of us who are blessed to work in this space and show up, it is a privilege. And you felt that at that young age. You know, you were lifted up. I couldn't really verbalize it. Yeah. It's when I try to explain it that I feel it. Like yeah. back then, I do remember feeling um, I, I could breathe deeper. Yes. I, I can't tell you I knew what was happening then. Yeah. But, but, but Deanna, when I go, when I like talk about it. Yeah. You know. This is part of what I feel is such an injustice on so many levels of how we're living our lives today. And one of them is that we don't acknowledge death or see it. And a walk. I always say the way, the best way to live your life is to befriend death and to know it because it teaches you so much. But when you can't really describe that feeling, it's the feeling of, of a, universal connection that is so beautiful and deep how much did that formulate and shape you in a sense and people don't have that privilege anymore we don't see people age we don't see people die and that has a huge beautiful impact on how we live that energy and for the children mm -hmm. to be a part of that so we need to bring back the natural life cycle again and do it well um, which is mm -hmm. part of this conversation mm -hmm. so how gorgeous so let's talk about your book, and can you share a bit about how the book is formulated, um, what people can expect when they read it? And then I'll sure. ask you something. So what I did, I really do feel, I, I started writing, and I'm so grateful for my editors and my publisher, because they just you know compartmentalized it better than it was coming out of my head. So the first part, it's where we are now, and I have several chapters about um it's not just how we got here but there's a lot of layers of of and there's a lot of powerful layers to this 
death positive movement and the end of life doulas within it. And people who may not want, who may not identify with the end of life doula role completely and utterly, but they are maybe holistic practitioners who will have a, a, a service of end of life doula, maybe for the clients they've been caring for, or maybe it's, um, uh, people that in every setting, whether they're in a sales position somewhere, accounting, it doesn't matter. They have the spark in them. Call it what you want. Some people really have offense with the word calling because end-of-life doula work or the work of accompanying is everyone's right by birthright. Everyone can do it. That's true. Everyone can do it. How many want to do it? That's what I'm talking about. So the ones that want to do it, there's a different spark in them. Everyone can do it, but not everybody wants to. The people that want to, they're people like you and I, that we just not only want to, we find joy in the service. Mm -hmm. So there's all these layers of how can we bring the community to where everyone feels comfortable to do it, that we're not needed. It's not like another layer trying to be established and take another professionalizing of this role. It's that right now we need guides. Right now we need teachers to show us how to accompany the dying once again because we lost the art for the most part. There are people like me that had a grandmother like mine that are alive. I'm only 58. She, you know, she died at 75. But, you know, there are people that had that and still do. They have it. Mm. Not many. Everywhere I go talk, I ask, how many people had a grandmother like me and had this experience? Rarely does anybody raise their hand. Sure. And I do a lot of talks. And so, I mean, it, so we're needed right now. But my hope is one day we're not needed. We're wanted, perhaps. Maybe they'll call us like they do the birth doulas because they know we're a beautiful adjunct and we'll help them. And um, some people volunteer, some people charge, some people do it through organizations. Like there's all kinds of ways that we're seeing. And we want doulas in all these places. Mm -hmm. We don't want doulas just outside of mainstream or just inside of mainstream. We need doulas everywhere on every level mm -hmm. being supported on, uh, on every, in every place because we are that role. We're not a caregiver only. We're not a priest or a spiritual person only. We're not the practical person only. We are all of it. We have a piece of everything in our role. It's hard to define. That's why we've had such a hard time. That's why the National End of Life Doula Alliance, I'm so grateful that we came together in that. Um, everyone's been invited to NIDA. Every trainer has been invited to the National End of Life Doula Alliance. And just pay attention to who's showing up there and who wants to be there, part of the unifying of the movement so that other people can understand who we are. Yeah. So if I'm Grandma Doula, yeah. It doesn't matter about needing. Yes. If I'm the neighbor who wants to help my neighbor, who cares? But yeah. if I'm a doula who wants to work in a professional way and work for strangers, yes, ma'am, you need something else besides just yourself. I had to have it as a hospice nurse. They just didn't throw me in uh, to go serve families because I was an RN. No, I needed training. Yeah. I needed training yeah. and I needed training in community. It wasn't Deanna go off and tr and help that family by yourself. We have a team. You also have, needed a scope of practice. You needed a scope of practice. You need a scope of practice. That you yes. were, you know, yes. in charge of. And so 
let's just talk about we have an and not just from your brain not from, from my brain no. like it can't be Deanna's scope of practice or Suzanne's scope of practice no. Nita's brilliant in that it brings multiple people together to say what makes sense in this the, the new, best, in this the, world yeah the, the brain the best brains and the movement that and everyone was invited came together in this nonprofit membership organization and boy did they put together a scope of practice to oh, find an end-of-life doula profession which is amazing and they went live with their assessment yesterday which is super exciting so it's really taken off but why oh, is, cool. yeah nice. this is big big news but why is this so important because we have an elder care crisis happening right now and is going to continue to happen for decades to come that there is not nearly enough in mainstream medical that can support the amount of people that will need care so they have to have and it we need everybody we need everybody. we need everybody and so and so this book so why don't you tell us who this book is for because we need everybody okay so i wrote it uh, part of the issue i had with this is who did i want to talk to mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to talk to the go-to person. Mm -hmm. So the go-to person can be the friend, the cousin, like for when people call me for private work, it's rarely the person who's dying that calls me, uh, very rarely. In rarer, um, and it's also rare if it's the primary caregiver who calls me. It's usually someone in the family or a friend who's heard of this thing called doula and wants to find out if I'm appropriate for the situation or what do you do or how can you help us? That person, that person mm -hmm. who's got the back of the family who is facing illness and dying, there's usually somebody in the scene who's trying to help. They're just beautiful. They're salt of the earth. They, their lives go down the tubes often because yeah. they are trying so hard to help everybody else. Everybody knows to call them in a crisis. So guess what they're doing all the time, helping everybody in their own crisis instead of living their own life. So I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying I have a lot of burnt out people who start working with me in my program. And I really help. Those are the ones that need professional boundaries more than the professionals, mm -hmm. because when I'm doing this work professionally, I have money as my professional boundary or my time because I'm doing multiple things. There's things in place as a professional that brings boundaries to the situation. When you're a go-to person, boundaries aren't there like that. And people feel very guilty for saying, I really need to go home. I'm exhausted and I need to feed my cat. That's not a good enough reason when somebody you love is dying. Um, so there is there are ways when you're the go-to person that we have to help um, make it okay. And, and I'll tell you, people in the situation, they don't want you to not take care of yourself and they don't want to burden you. That's why a lot of times people who, in the, who are dying in their families in, this, the primary situ, in the primary circle, they don't want to ask anybody for help because they don't want to burden you. And then we are on the outside looking in and we want to do everything we can to help. So as, we just need to get some... Um, ground rules there, some boundaries, so everybody can take a deep breath, relax, and, un and take in the help and give the help where everybody is okay. And that's where a lot of us can come in and clarify um, these kind of issues because otherwise there's a lot of heaviness and burden in the caregiving. Yeah. So I think the doula, the doula uh, way, uh, I like to call it the doula way, um, is not about self-sacrifice as it is conscious giving 
Right. And loving. We're always loving. So it's just there's some mindset and awareness practices yeah. and that we can do that just shifts the um, energy yeah. around this giving on this intense level. It's a beautiful gift to give. You'll never, even if you charge for your services, yeah. um, you're, you're not charging for the love you're giving. You're not charging for the sacred, for all of that. You, what you're charging for is whatever your practical contribution is to the picture. So I, I often help people with that piece by going, look, we give all of ourselves. We're not charging for all of ourselves. We're charging yeah. for this nursing service I'm doing or this sitting service I'm doing or this whatever I'm doing for the funeral planning or for the facilitating of the uh, family discussion or these very practical things that lawyers, that doctors, that closet organizers, that we pay our plumbers, that, uh, that kind of thing is, uh, is our due to make yeah. a living in this world. That's great. The other that we give is our gift. Of yeah. course, as human beings, as, yeah. Um, I think that's a great way to approach the beginning of this whole book is because um, for me, when we were taking care of people at the end of life, the caregiver, um, again, would not ask for help and would be just going down completely. And people, it, it's so fascinating to me that people will not offer necessarily that help because they don't want to get involved because they see how heavy it is. And that one person keeps taking it on. They get resentful of other people that are not pitching in like other family members, but they're not addressing it and they get sick. And then sometimes they even hope that the end of life comes about so that they can relax and they feel guilty about that for the other person. So there's, and you can't, you can't, do this well without a balance and without healthy boundaries. So I love but that. But not everybody shift. has help. Oh, well, no. Not not every, every, no, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think that's great where, I mean, just the awareness of what else is available out there. You know, are there doulas? You know, can I ask? And you know what? Asking for help is great. It doesn't mean you're weak. There's a lot of doulas in the role too. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, it's not people are going, well, are there doulas in my area? There's a lot of rural, rural Mm -hmm. doulas i'm surprised yeah. to say well sure um, yeah there not every there's not every city is going to have a doula but i'm surprised at how many rural areas have doulas because yeah. they're taken with me and there's a nice little mix there um so the the caretaker when you when you were talking it was reminding me that when i'm a caregiver i'm going to say yes if you if because when i was caregiving my mom i would go in and out of well, why isn't this one here why isn't why, why, why? And then I would go, well, because they're, I'm here. So then I became clear, oh, this is my role. Okay. Well, I saw that people are trying to cope. They're trying. And so because I have my doula hat on, right. And I, I'm in this field. I, and I'm sure you do the same thing when you're in your situations. You're really, I really see from so many angles all the time. Oh, that's why this is happening. That's why this is happening. So I've had a, a family um, last year and the person was so competent. She didn't need any help. That's what she thought. So she refused help. So there, there's a big, big problem right there because of course she needed help and she did want help. She told me later she wanted help, mm -hmm. but she didn't know how to accept it because she uh, was in the, I've got to be the competent one. And a lot of go-to people are like that. They just, if people see them break, 
then they're afraid they're going to break. Yeah. Like yeah. they, they want yeah. to be the strong one. Sure. So there's just a lot to do with, uh, to support each other mm-hmm. into some balance around all this. I love that. And, so- I, and I hope the book brings some of that in. Um, I hope to bring some, like some levity and some yeah. um, consciousness in, in the role of accompanying. And I'm speaking to the go-to people, the dual, the people who, who see themselves as end-of-life doulas. And then also health, uh, healthcare advocacy, uh, patient advocacy is growing and really mm-hmm. getting strong. And I want those guys to have this book because they're walking with a lot of people just by definition who are having trouble, right? So no, you're not calling your, you're not spending money on a patient advocate when you just have a little ruffle in the, in the water. There's usually big things going on. And when are big things going on is when they're in serious illness. And oftentimes mm-hmm. in that last leg and that last um, decline before hospice is considered, that's sure. exactly when I want people to be using this book is during that yeah. time between yeah. um, when treatments begin to stop working and hospice entry right in there could be they are dying and they might be dead in a week, but nobody's acknowledging it anywhere. So is that, so let's just hone and into that. Cause that, yeah, that's super important. That, that window right there. So can I, can I ask you in your book, how do you address that? Is that in a chapter, that window of when do we stop treatment? How do you decide what's right for you? If you're an advocate, how do you advocate for your patient at that point? Can you address a little bit of that? Yeah. So what I, how I did it because it's there, of course, there's no easy answers because we're always asking that question. Am I here yet? Am I there yet? Are we really there? That's the question as a hospice nurse, when I would get admissions or when I would have a new family, um, as a case manager, they would go, are we really, are we there? Like mom gave her directives, but did she really mean it? So we have mom with dementia who's dying and the, fa- and the adult children are guilt feeling guilty because they're not sure mom really meant what she said in her directives. And are we really there yet this time? Because she's yeah. beat death so many times. So that's, those two things are really real. And, it's, and you can't just pull that, take that apart really simply. But how I have it, like how I have it, is how to accompany the dying. I have it separated into several from 14 to 10 chapters. I have it separated out. It's like, where do you begin as a person who wants to make a difference? So um, I'm just going to read off some of the sure. titles. When all is well. Okay. Early in the process of illness until treatments begin to stop working. Advanced illness decline prior to hospice. The decision for hospice. End days person on hospice. End days person not on hospice. Pre-death vigil, death, post-death vigil, bereavement. I broke, I had to break it down into several it. things, right? Because yeah. there's so much to think about and there's complexity. Sure. And we need to honor that person. Where they always, are. Like, where they where are. They are. So in their process. If they want to live, mm-hmm. they need to, if they want to be supported to go to Mexico and get the latest treatment when everybody says they're dying, we need to support them to go to Mexico and get the treatment. My mom wanted to go see John Paul of Brazil. Was it John Paul of Brazil? John of God. God. John of God. Yeah. We were all like, are you kidding me? But we went to buy our white stuff, like all the things they want you to have. And we were letting her know we're making the plans. She could never go. I mean, she never got to go, but it honored her that she knew we were willing to and that we made the move. You heard her. I seem to. You saw her and you heard her. And that's so. You heard her. Right. To teach people hear them, meet them where they are and be present. I love it. And I know that's not popular. That's not popular 
because uh, an idea because people are saying, say the death word, say D word, you need to be death's advocate. I do agree on many levels about being death's advocate versus the person's advocate. I, I mulch that over a lot. We talk about it a lot in our group and I love the idea of being the voice of truth and reason where things are, when things are happening, but it's also a very delicate walk. It's not always the same conversation the same way. There's no template. And so um, people have to really own their skill set to be able to do something like that. Yeah. If you're a person who hasn't seen much death, are you going to go walking in, banging into every situation going, you're dying and you need to accept it? Like, that's not how we do well, things. Well, first of all, that's, hor that's horrifying, that, that whole, like, <laughs> But the second no, thing... No, but that, there's a lot of writing about that, you well, know? Like, is, but let me just say one thing, that there's not one way to do end-of-life no. death correctly. And you know what? Yes, I understand that we want to be real about this. The time to be real about it is the conversation way before we even are there so that it's a part of our general makeup. But the other thing about end-of-life patients, especially when they're newly diagnosed, there is a shock. There is so much going on with them. You don't walk in and say you're dying in their face and shove it down their throat. That to me is offensive. You give them that presence and love and guidance and they will get to that place when they feel safe. So it will be accomplished, but it's not that you need to. And who are we to say? Or if they might not. Yeah. And they might and they might not. And that's and that's okay if that's their journey. So it's really important to again see and be present with people in their journey and honor them. Deanna, it sounds like such an incredible book and it sounds like something that everyone can use. And I love the fact that, you know, you can be it's like a manual that you can be with a patient that's in this stage, go right to that chapter and know what you need to do there. So so exciting. I love it. Um, and oh, thank you. And I know that you have made an incredible opportunity for people to get this for free for a limited time. Yeah. So it's uh, so cool. Yeah. They, they're yeah. doing such great things these days for, um, for, for everybody like uh, the internet and everything just still astounds me. Um, so yes, night for free until six o'clock Eastern time. I say six, they said six thirty, but I don't want anybody getting there at six thirty yeah. at the last second. Like me, I always miss things by five minutes. So I'm saying 6 PM Eastern time, go to amazon.com and you can download it for free and you don't even have to have a Kindle. They have a cloud thing. I can I went and tested this myself the other day and I can get all kinds of free books in a library on a cloud and I don't even have to have Kindle. So um, amazing. Cause I don't, I don't. Yeah. It's so cool. So download it and you can have it in your little library on yep. the cloud and read it anytime you want. And, and it's, it's in your, your family library. So how, how wonderful and how generous is that? So the 19th, Tuesday, the 19th till 6 PM yes. Eastern time, this book is for free. Go ahead, click away. It's one click and have it. You can go back if you just don't have time to read it today. Not a worry. You can go back and read it, but go get that book for free because it's available till 6 p.m., which is amazing. And, and if you don't mind, I would love yeah. it if you would review and uh, just leave me um, a review of the yeah. book of what you, if you got something out of it, please share with people so they can read what you have to say. And um so I thank you for that. It's a generalist book. It's, I want you aware of every possible, that's what I do in my program too. It's like you're coming out a generalist to not a specific on celebrant or yeah. specific on home funeral or specific on yeah. legacy. You're going to know everything. You're going to know a piece of everything mm -hmm. um, when you get out of, uh, 
that you'll get out of this book and that for you can go further because a whole book can be written on every single topic I bring up and they are, there are lots of books out there for that, but I try to bring it together so that you can have it all in one place. Um, So that, that was what I tried to do. Well, it sounds fantastic. We'll have all the links below. So in every way to get in touch with you. So go ahead, everyone just read and then you can click and get that book again for free till 6 p.m. on the 19th. And then it's $2.99 for a time period. So it's just so exciting. Deanna Cochran, you are such a gift on so many levels to this movement, to the world. And I want to thank you personally on behalf of everybody for all that you've contributed. It's amazing. Well, thank you. I feel the same about you. And I'm just so grateful we're all in this together. There's so many people that are good, good people, salt of the earth, and you're one of them. And your heart is good. Your heart is in the right place. And that's why I just am so grateful we're doing this project together, the NSEP. Uh, do we have a minute to say that or should we, yeah, should that yeah, be another program or whatever? Well, well, oh my gosh. Let's let them know about it. A great moment. <laughs> All right. We'll do another program on it, but I'm so excited about this because unity, mm-hmm. bringing it out, bringing out what uh, we know works in a, in a most cost efficient, energy efficient way mm-hmm. is what makes sense. Why is everybody going to recreate a wheel that we already did? Yeah. And Consulting fees are high. I get it. Hospices or healthcare, they don't need another high consulting fee to get this done. So we created a template. Suzanne and I put ourselves together on this. We have our best in this hospice end of life doula program development template. So we tell you, we take you through how to make your decisions and how to do step-by-step to create your own end-of-life doula program. And it comes complete with the volunteer training, coordinator training, the train the trainer training, and the training that the doulas will get. And it's a beautiful process and it's very doable. Anybody can buy this and um, create their own innovative branded program to their own company. Yeah. So we're very close. I mean, aren't you excited? I'm so excited. We're very close to making that national announcement, Yeah, but it's the NSEP, which is a national certification for end-of-life doulas in hospice and in healthcare program. And it is all done for you. It's a turnkey. It is so thorough and complete. And you'll- We're going to give you marketing copy. We're going to give you how to get buy-in from the staff. We're going to- I've been putting in hospice end-of-life doula programs and so- and fixing ones that others have called me to help them (laughs) that they tried to make and it didn't kind of work. I I think people think, oh, it's easy. It's rock. It's not rocket science. We know death. We're going to create our own program (laughs) and it's not happening. And I understand- the thought of why you would think that's true, but it's way more complicated than that. And it took hours and months and months and months and multiple people to develop what we have developed. So this is not just, Hey, uh, a couple of weekends and we threw something together. This is several months with adult education curriculum developers, plus us, plus um, Mm -hmm. digital people getting everything friendly. And so it is, amazing we're so i'm so excited suzanne people are gonna love it that i can't wait for the first hospices to to get on board and And that is the future of healthcare. you know the future of healthcare is the non-medical profession and we put nsep together and it is complete and affordable and it's going to be the answer to all these really gaps and the hospices they're wanting it you know they just don't know how well how do we how do we do this thing well you don't have to spend your man hours hundreds of your man hours developing it just plug this in. That's sure. it. Simple. Yeah. 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 
So we'll let you all know about that. We'll, yeah, we'll be announcing that in the next couple. We'll do another program on that. We'll do a whole program on it, let you know, but you know, there's just so many positive, proactive things happening. We wanted to share. Can you see it? This is the book. So, oh, it's this is the book. So when you go to, um, and Danielle did the cover. This is gorgeous. And it's, um, I love Bodhi. He's my mentor and colleague and friend. And, we were on him. She took that beautiful picture. She also took the picture of me in there because she's a professional photographer. So I'm very lucky in our little family business. Quality of life care is our family business. Um, she is able to bring her gifts and she loves supporting the doula movement too. So it's really fun. It is so exciting. I'm so happy for you. So again, just thank you so much for your time and contribution thank you, Suzanne. to this world. Thank and you. we look forward to seeing this book, reading it, and getting all the reviews back. So good luck to you, Deanna. <laughs> Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank all right, you so we'll much. see you in the next episode of Ask a Deaf Doula. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.